Hey there, guten Morgen. Welcome back. Thank you for 76k on my podcast, which is the best podcast in the planet. Okay, um, breaking news, latest Trump news. Um, MSNBC. I was making so much money with DoorDash. I wanted to earn um, money in my free time, but I didn't shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. At 6, 12 p.m. today, Donald Trump announced he is now in full panic mode, expecting to be indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney at any moment. Donald Trump did not put it in exactly those words, but because Donald Trump is the most purely reactionary and unintentionally transparent politician we have ever seen. We know exactly what motivated his 6.12 p.m. press release titled Statement from the Trump Campaign on the Manhattan DA's Witch Hunt. Imagine how much more difficult and complex and suspenseful it would be to cover Donald Trump if he were careful and deliberative and calm and knew how to mask what he's thinking and what he's worried about like every president who served before he did but donald trump's uncontrollable temper and his unrelenting stupidity make him almost fully transparent donald trump's panicked press release tonight begins with the words President Donald J. Trump is completely innocent. He did nothing wrong. Like almost all Trump statements, the accurate way to read them is simply the opposite of what the words say. So one perfectly reasonable translation of that first line of the Trump press release tonight is Donald Trump knows that he is completely guilty and that he did everything wrong. Tonight's press release from Donald Trump is an attack on the prosecutor who Donald Trump clearly now expects to be the first prosecutor in American history to charge a former president with a crime. Trump says the latest witch hunt is being brought on by George Soros-backed, radical left, Democrat prosecutor Alvin Bragg. Hey, diaper done. It's not a witch hunt. You're a fucking uber criminal. The defense in Manhattan and Donald Trump have reason to believe that Alvin Bragg could indict Donald Trump as early as tomorrow. If Donald Trump believes that is possible, then of course he is going to issue a ranting press release aimed at Alvin Bragg at 6.12 p.m. this evening. On what could be indictment eve tonight, there's more to know about the man who might enter history tomorrow as the first prosecutor to ever bring charges against a former president. Growing up in Harlem, I was repeatedly stopped and frisked by the NYPD, including three times at gunpoint. I've seen loved ones arrested and have opened our home to support a close family member post-incarceration. Alvin Bragg wrote that during his successful campaign for Manhattan District Attorney in 2020. Manhattan has never had a district attorney like Alvin Bragg. Manhattan has never had a district attorney who'd been repeatedly stopped and frisked by the New York Police Department three times at gunpoint. 
Alvin Bragg's predecessor was the son of President Jimmy Carter's Secretary of State, Cyrus Vance. And District Attorney Vance's predecessor, Robert Morgenthau, was the son of President Franklin Roosevelt's Secretary of the Treasury. District Attorney Morgenthau held the office for 34 years in Manhattan. There have been only 37 Manhattan district attorneys in the 222-year history of that That's office, right. and most of them have been New York aristocrats. That's right. None other than then came Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg grew up in Harlem on a block known as Strider's Row, a neighborhood that was home to black professionals like Alvin Bragg's parents, Sadie and Alvin Bragg Sr., who grew up in the small town of Petersburg, Virginia, where they met in the eighth grade. Sadie was valedictorian in her high school graduating class. She went to Virginia State University, while Alvin Sr. went to Syracuse University. They married in Alvin's senior year of college and deliberately decided to move to Harlem and decided Worst to stay criminal in human history, when so they go easily fuck could yourself. have moved to the suburbs because they wanted Alvin Bragg Jr., to grow up in that nurturing Harlem community of Strivers Row. Alvin Bragg Sr. worked at the Urban League while his wife Sadie became a dean at Manhattan Community College. Alvin Bragg was a good student who went on to Harvard College, where he became president of the Harvard Black Students Association. During his graduation week in 1995, Harvard's daily newspaper, the Harvard Crimson, published a profile of Alvin Bragg titled The Anointed One. In her profile of Alvin Bragg, Anna Wilde said that he is, quote, a smooth and convincing talker. And, quote, there is a definite sense of the anointed about him. <laughs> Have, quote, a role on the larger stage of local and national politics. That profile, written Wait, 28 what? years ago by a President Donald J. Trump is completely innocent. He did nothing wrong. Like Trump. almost all Trump statements, the accurate way to read them is simply the opposite Reverse. of what the words say. So Just one like perfectly reasonable translation worshiper. of that first line of the Trump press release tonight is Donald Trump knows that he is completely Just guilty like and that he did everything wrong. Tonight's press Demon. release from Donald Trump is Fuck an attack black on the prosecutor who Donald Trump clearly now expects to be the first prosecutor in American history to charge a former president with a crime. Trump says the latest witch hunt is being brought on by George Soros-backed, radical left, Democrat prosecutor Alvin Bragg. The press release is an indication that Donald Trump's criminal defense lawyers in Manhattan and Donald Trump have reason to believe that Alvin Bragg could indict Donald Trump as early as tomorrow. Yeah. If Donald Trump believes that is possible, then of course he is going to issue a ranting press release aimed at Alvin Bragg Another at 6.12 p.m. this evening. On what could be indictment eve tonight, there's more to know about the man 
who might enter history tomorrow as the first prosecutor to ever bring charges against a former president. Growing up in Harlem, I was repeatedly stopped and frisked by the NYPD, including three times at gunpoint. I've seen loved ones arrested and have opened our home to support a close family member post-incarceration. Alvin Bragg wrote that during his successful campaign for Manhattan District Attorney in 2020. Manhattan has never had a district attorney like Alvin Bragg. Manhattan has never had a district attorney who'd been repeatedly stopped and frisked by the New York Police Department three times at gunpoint. Alvin Bragg's predecessor was the son of President Jimmy Carter's Secretary of State, Cyrus Vance. And District Attorney Vance's predecessor, Robert Morgenthau, was the son of President Franklin Roosevelt's Secretary of the Treasury. District Attorney Morgenthau held the office for 34 At Sea Cuisine, our chefs have elevated seafood. For years in Manhattan. There have been only 37 Manhattan district attorneys in the 222-year history of that office, and most of them have been New York aristocrats. Then came Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg grew up in Harlem on a block known as Strivers Row, a neighborhood that was home to black professionals like Alvin Bragg's parents, Sadie and Alvin Bragg Sr., who grew up in the small town of Petersburg, Virginia, where they met in the eighth grade. Sadie was valedictorian in her high school graduating class. She went to Virginia State University while Alvin Sr. went to Syracuse University. They married in Alvin's senior year of college and deliberately decided to move to Harlem and decided to stay there when they easily could have moved to the suburbs because they wanted Alvin Bragg Jr. to grow up in that nurturing Harlem community of Strivers Row. Alvin Bragg Sr. worked at the Urban League while his wife Sadie became a dean at Manhattan Community College. Alvin Bragg was a good student who went on to Harvard College where he became president of the Harvard Black Students Association. During his graduation week in 1995, Harvard's daily newspaper, the Harvard Crimson, published a profile of Alvin Bragg titled, The Anointed One. In her profile of Alvin Bragg, Anna Wilde said that he is, quote, a smooth and convincing talker. And, quote, there is a definite sense of the anointed about him. She saw Alvin Bragg as someone who could have, quote, a role on the larger stage of local and national politics. That profile, written 28 years ago by a college student, is correct so far. Alvin Bragg has assumed a role in local politics and because of the Trump investigation, national politics, and possibly as early as tomorrow, Alvin Bragg could assume a role in American history. After that profile appeared in his college newspaper, Alvin Bragg, having graduated from Harvard College cum laude, went on to Harvard Law School, where he was an editor of the Harvard Civil Rights Civil Liberties Law Review. Wow. 
Alvin Bragg still lives in Harlem. He and his wife have been married 22 years and have two children. Life as they have known it will change. Change utterly. If Alvin Bragg brings criminal charges against Donald Trump. Alvin Bragg and his family will be attacked and savaged by Donald Trump on a daily, possibly hourly basis, more viciously than we have ever seen Donald Trump lash out at anyone. Donald Trump will lie about Alvin Bragg. And Alvin Bragg knows this. But there has never been a Manhattan district taught him how to tell the truth or do the right thing. Alvin Bragg's going to be the first person to indict a president, probably. the best possible family and community influences to shape his experience of the real-world effects of law enforcement. A kid who strived for excellence in the classroom and was taught a scholarly and moral respect for the truth. To put to the right thing. And another kid who grew up on Strivers Row with the best possible family and community influences to shape his experience of the real world effects of law enforcement. A kid who strived for excellence in the classroom and was taught a scholarly and moral respect for the truth. To put two characters like this in the same courtroom together would be the work of a great screenwriter <laughs> if it were not if it were not happening right before our eyes in this dramatic time if alvin bragg and donald trump find themselves in the same courtroom on a criminal case they will each be in that room because of the choices each of them made about what to strive for in this life and with them in that courtroom will be the unseen tracks that their parents laid for them to follow into the lives that they have chosen. <laughs> Donald Trump's very first encounter with the law came in 1973 when he and his father were accused by the Justice Department of violating the civil rights of people trying to rent apartments in New York. Donald Trump entered an agreement with the Justice Department to end Thank his you, racist practices as a landlord. But of course, Donald Trump's racism lived on. And Donald Trump will now be hurling his racism directly at Alvin Bragg, who Donald Trump has already called a racist. <laughs> because Alvin Bragg is black Ridiculous. and is investigating That's Donald Trump. Race baiting his followers. The Trump racist them principle more appears to be to violence. that black people should not be allowed to investigate Donald Trump. Yeah. That's why Donald Trump has hurled his How racist invective Thank you, black at Alvin Bragg and at District Attorney Connie Willis in Atlanta, Georgia, who is also very garbage. close to possibly indicting Donald Trump. We've seen Donald Trump attack a judge in the Trump University fraud case that he lost because Donald Trump believed that the judge's Spanish last name made it impossible for that judge to be fair. The Trump rule is the only people allowed to be judges in Trump cases or investigators of Donald Trump are white Republicans are who love Donald Trump. But tonight, 
Or his puppets. Donald Trump is on the verge of indictment in nah, Manhattan nah. by a district attorney. Any minute who now. Who was born indictment watch follow the same more. year that Donald Trump was first accused of racist practices by the Justice Department. Yeah. By next week, the world could be watching a courtroom drama like we have never seen before. Yeah, grab your the popcorn, folks. The anointed one folks. seems like too exalted a label to take seriously in the real world. But when the history of this period is written, uh. it might fit Alvin Bragg as well as it seemed to fit him when he was on his way from Harvard College to Harvard Law School. Leading off our discussion tonight is Harry Lippman, former U.S. Attorney and former Deputy Assistant Attorney. Talking Feds. I'll be the judge of that. Talking Feds. Go subscribe. Attorney General. He is now Senior Legal Affairs Columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Also with us, Charles Coleman, former federal prosecutor and former senior assistant district attorney in Brooklyn. He is now a civil rights attorney and an MSNBC legal analyst. And Charles, let me begin with you with your all-important local knowledge and experience uh, in district attorney proceedings uh, in New York City. Uh, we seem to be very close to the end here. What is your reading of what the, we're... Uh, District Attorney Bragg is in this grand jury process as of this hour tonight. Well, Lawrence, it does appear that D.A. Bragg is going to wrap up this grand jury presentation. The question is, what are the charges that he is going to present and when he is when is he going to present them? After the grand jury takes a vote, it is hopeful that they will vote to indict him and not return a no true bill, in which case the next question is, at what point will that be presented to a judge for unsealing and ultimately Donald Trump's arraignment? But it does appear that right now we're at the point that Alvin Bragg is wrapping up his witnesses. I know Stormy Daniels has yet to testify. I do not anticipate that her testimony will be as long as Michael Cohen's, but it is important to have everything put in front of that grand jury, and then they will make the decision based on the charges that are put in front of them, whether to return a no true bill or a true bill on the indictment, and Alvin Bragg will then make history by having indicted and moved forward with the prosecution of a former United States president. According to the practices you're aware of in uh, district attorney's offices in New York City, uh, will Donald Trump's lawyers know about an indictment before we do? Yes, it is very likely that they will receive notice about the indictment from prosecutors in this case so that they can make the arrangements to have their client show up in court and also turned in to be arrested and actually formally booked through, through New York City police. And, and how much advance notice do they get for that, the Trump lawyers? That's up to the discretion of prosecutors, and a lot of it is going to depend on the nature of the charges. We are still trying to ascertain what exactly is going to be put in front of the grand jury, ultimately in terms of the charges that Alvin Bragg will seek to move forward on. We are all expecting that they will be felonies that are related to campaign finance violations. But at this point, we still do not know because that was a legal theory that Bragg's office had investigated and dealt with before, but did not choose to move forward on. So a lot of people are wondering what's different now that has gotten us to this point that makes Alvin Bragg move forward when before it seemed as though he was wanting to cool his jets. 
Uh, Harry Lippman, this is, of course, just one, one of the four very serious criminal investigations uh, facing Donald Trump, two of them being run by federal special prosecutor Jack Smith on the government documents case and on the January 6th case. And then there's Fawny Willis in Atlanta. And last night at this hour, we were reporting the latest, the new information from a new group of uh, grand jurors, five of them, uh, who spoke uh, without their names being known uh, to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They revealed, as we reported here last night, another taped phone call Donald Trump made to Georgia, this one to the Speaker of the House, the Republican Speaker of the House. And we have some additional reporting on that today uh, from NBC News, uh, having contacted one of the jurors. And that it was described, the call was described this way, Trump attempted to pressure the then Speaker into calling a special legislative session to overturn President uh, Joe Biden's a victory in Battleground State. And uh, Coors, who was the uh, four-person of the jury, uh, told NBC News uh, the call, which was first reported in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, lasted about 10 minutes. Coors said she recalled that Trump asked uh, Speaker Ralston who would stop him from holding a special session. And according to Coors, Speaker Ralston responded, a federal judge, that's who. Uh, and so with, with each day, uh, Harry, the, the evidence mounts. Definitely. And recall when Coors first made her kind of uh, PR tour that was a little perplexing, she had said we heard multiple phone calls. And that was one of the most uh, captivating details. What multiple phone calls? Well, it looks like there are now two or three. And that, from a prosecutor's point of view, is just killer evidence. Um, but it does show it was some very good reporting in the uh, Atlanta paper, as you mentioned. And it showed them to be uh, cohesive. Uh, clearly sympathetic to the uh, uh, witnesses that are most hostile to Trump, uh, clearly, vi and vice versa. And they had some real zingers, including at the end, this is going to be massive. So recall, this is just the special grand jury that made recommendations to Fonnie Willis, and then a real, a, a actual grand jury that sits starting very soon will will process the evidence. But based on what not just the four person, but these five have now said, it's coming at uh, Trump like a freight train and a freight train with many cars on it. This in contrast to the Bragg indictment, which I think is going to be uh, returned on Monday, is really a complex, sprawling case involving not just Trump, but all the president's men as well, probably about 15 people. Uh, Charles Coleman, I, I want to get into the specifics procedurally of how this might work in Manhattan if Donald Trump is in, indicted in Manhattan. Uh, and and if there's distinctions here between him being indicted only for misdemeanor or, or indicted for a felony. For example, uh, does he... Is there any law that says he must be arrested? Can they just arrange for Donald Trump to show up uh, instead of being technically arrested? Well, that presents more of a, a, a practical question in terms of how this will be handled. He actually, he absolutely would have to be arrested first in order to be arraigned on this indictment. That's just something that's unavoidable. Now, whether we will see Donald Trump actually take a purple, put it, be put in handcuffs, that's an entirely different space that we have not seen, obviously, because we are talking about something that is completely unprecedented. I, for one, have been wondering what is going to happen with respect to Secret Service. He is entitled as a former president to Secret service protection. And so are they going to be a part of this arrest procedure? Will they be with him in the holding cell before mm -hmm. he is brought out?
in terms of in front of the judge and in court? And then what happens subsequently if he is convicted? Will they spend that time with him as well? So there are a number of logistical concerns that have not necessarily been worked out as of yet because we really just have not seen this sort of thing before. But to answer your question, Lawrence, he absolutely will have to be arrested before he is arraigned because that will make him a formal part of the criminal justice system as a defendant moving forward. Uh, Harry Lippmann, uh, this could happen in what will feel like rapid succession. We could, for example, uh, get an indictment in Manhattan on, say, a Monday. You could have an indictment in Atlanta the following Monday or by the end of the same week, the way this is uh, moving at this point. And it's a really important point because we are fixated on what's going to be the first. Um, but in a few months, it's going to feel different. There will be two, maybe, as you suggest, uh, from Jack Smith, three cases. And it'll just be, a, a, you know, a whole minefield for Trump. And I think who actually went first will recede in importance at that at that point. Uh, and it'll, it'll, you know, be be uh, sort of all over the the a, a kind of national minefield for the former president. Shop everyday low prices on a huge selection of home furnishings at Living Spaces, where you'll also discover clearance deals that are up to 60% off. Discover a variety of rooms for less and save big only at Living Spaces. Living Spaces. <laughs> And, and Charles, uh, when will we learn uh, what what the nature of the evidence is against Donald Trump in a Manhattan case if there are charges? That's going to be up to the discretion of the judge in terms of how much of the grand jury proceedings will be released. Those things are reviewed by the judges once they are turned in and once the indictment is done. The minutes will be reviewed by the judge. And I suspect that Alvin Bragg, even if he is allowed some level of discretion from the judge, is still going to keep a very tight lid on this as to not prejudice anything related to this case. Because as you've already pointed out, I fully expect that Donald Trump is going to go on the offensive and attack the credibility of that office. He's going to attack the credibility of the witnesses. And I fully suspect that he's also going to seek to change the venue outside of the five boroughs to try to get a courthouse that is going to be much more favorable to him than he'll find between what he's facing in Manhattan or anywhere else within the five boroughs of New York City. Charles Coleman and Harry Lippman, thank you both very much for starting off our discussion tonight. Thank you. And coming up, the latest column by our next guest is titled, Donald Trump Must Be Prosecuted. Charles Blow will join hey. us next. Ooh, sounds great. Pull the president, for I for one have dealt with before, but did not choose Mr. to move forward. Be very close to the... Back in 1984, deep in the Grand Canyon, Teva was born Her out of our Minnesota new It was an university fraud case that he lost because Donald Trump believed that the judge's Spanish last name made it impossible for that judge to be. Uh, we seem to be very close to the end here. What is your reading of what the, where uh, District Attorney Bragg is in this grand jury process as of this hour tonight? 
Well, Lawrence, it does appear that D.A. Bragg is going to wrap up this grand jury presentation. The question is, what are the charges that he is going to present and when he is when is he going to present them? After the grand jury takes a vote, it is hopeful that they will vote to indict him and not return a no true bill. In which case, the next question is, at what point will that be presented to a judge for unsealing and ultimately Donald Trump's arraignment? But it does appear that right now we're at the point that Alvin Bragg is Wrapping up his witnesses, I know Stormy Daniels has yet to testify. I do not anticipate that her testimony will be as long as Michael Cohen's, but it is important to have everything put in front of that grand jury, and then they will make the decision based on the charges that are put in front of them, whether to return a no true bill or a true bill on the indictment, and Alvin Bragg will then make history by having indicted and moved forward with the prosecution of a former United States president. According to the practices you're aware of in uh, district attorney's offices, in New York City. Uh, will Donald Trump's lawyers know about an indictment before we do? Yes, it is very likely that they will receive yeah. notice about the indictment from prosecutors in this case so that they can make the arrangements to have their client show up in court and also turned in to be arrested uh -huh. and actually formally booked through, through New York City uh -huh. police. And, and how much advance notice do they get for that, the Trump lawyers? <laughs> That's up to the discretion of prosecutors, and a lot of it is going to depend on the nature of the charges. We are still trying to ascertain what exactly is going to be put in front of the grand jury, ultimately in terms of the charges that Alvin Bragg will seek to move forward on. We are all expecting that they will be felonies that are related to campaign finance violations. But at this point, we still do not know because that was a legal theory that Bragg's office had investigated and dealt with before, but did not choose to move forward on. So a lot of people are wondering what's different now that has gotten us to this point that makes Alvin Bragg move forward when before it seemed as though he was wanting to cool his jets. Uh, Harry Lippman, this is, of course, just one, one of the four very serious criminal investigations uh, facing Donald Trump, two of them being run by federal special prosecutor Jack Smith on the government documents case and on the January 6th case. And then there's Fawny Willis in Atlanta. And last night at this hour, we were reporting the latest, the new information from a new group of uh, grand jurors, five of them, uh, who spoke uh, without their names being known uh, to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They revealed, as we reported here last night, another taped phone call Donald Trump made to Georgia, this one to the Speaker of the House, the Republican Speaker of the House. And we have some additional reporting on that today uh, from NBC News, uh, having contacted one of the jurors. And that it was described, wow. the call was described this way, Trump attempted to pressure the then Speaker into calling a special legislative session to overturn President uh, Joe Biden's a victory in Bellagon State, and uh, Coors, who was the uh, four-person of the jury, uh, told NBC News uh, the call, which was first reported in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, lasted about 10 minutes. Coors said she recalled that Trump asked uh, Speaker Ralston who would stop him from holding a special session, and according to Coors, Speaker Ralston responded, a federal judge, that's who. Uh, and so with, with each day, uh, Harry, the, the evidence mounts.
Definitely. And recall when Coors first made her kind of uh, PR tour that was a little perplexing, she had said we heard multiple phone calls, and that was one of the most uh, captivating details. What multiple phone calls? Well, it looks like there are now two or three, and that, from a prosecutor's point of view, is just killer evidence. Um, but it does show it was ve some very good reporting in the uh, Atlanta paper, as you mentioned, and it showed them to be uh, cohesive, uh, clearly sympathetic to to the uh, uh, witnesses that are most hostile to Trump, uh, clearly, vi and vice versa. And they had some real zingers, including at the end, this is going to be massive. So recall, this is just the special grand jury that made recommendations. That's who. Uh, and so for the session to overturn President uh, Joe Biden's uh, victory in Battleground State, and uh, Coors, who was the uh, four-person of the jury, uh, told NBC News, uh, the call, which was first reported in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, lasted about 10 minutes. Corey said she recalled the Trump-asked uh, Speaker Ralston who would stop him from holding a special session. And according to Corey... Uh, I have a surprise for you. I have a surprise for you. What? Let's say it at the same time. Okay, three, two, one. I booked, I booked a surprise Corey's Speaker Ralston responded, a federal judge, that's who. Uh, and so with, with each day, uh, Harry, the, the evidence mounts. Definitely. And recall when Coors first made her kind of uh, PR tour that was a little perplexing, she had said we heard multiple phone calls. And that was one of the most uh, captivating details. What multiple phone calls? Well, it looks like there are now two or three. And that, from a prosecutor's uh, point of view, votes. is just killer evidence. Um, but it does show it was some very good reporting in the uh, Atlanta paper, as you fact. mentioned. And it showed them to be uh, cohesive. Uh, clearly sympathetic to the uh, uh, witnesses that are most hostile to Trump, uh, clearly, vi and vice versa. And they had some real zingers, <laughs> including at the end, this is going to be massive. So recall, this is just the special grand jury that made recommendations to Fonnie Willis, and then a real, a, a, a actual grand jury that sits starting very soon will we'll process the evidence. But based on what not just the four person, but these five this have now said, it's coming friends. at uh, Trump like a freight train and a freight train with many Yay. cars on it. This, in contrast to the Bragg indictment, which I think ah. is going to be uh, returned on Monday, is really down. a complex, sprawling case involving not just Trump, but all the president's men as well, probably about 15 people. Uh, Charles Cole, yeah, I, I want to get into the specifics procedurally of how this might work in Manhattan if Donald Trump is in, indicted in Manhattan. Uh, and, and if there's distinctions here between him being indicted only for misdemeanor or, or indicted for a felony. For example, uh, does he, is there any law that says he must be arrested? Can they just arrange for Donald Trump to show up? Uh, instead of being technically arrested? Well, that presents more of a, a, a practical question instead in terms of, of how this will be handled. He, actually, he absolutely would have to be arrested first yeah, yeah. in order to be arraigned on this indictment. That's just something that's unavoidable. Now, whether we will see Donald Trump actually take a purple, put it, be put in handcuffs, that's an entirely different space that we have not seen, obviously, because we are talking about something that is completely unprecedented. I, for one, have been wondering what is going to happen with respect to Secret Service. He is entitled as a former president to Secret 
Service protection. Secret and so are they going go to be a part of this arrest procedure? Will they be with him in the holding cell before he is brought up in terms of in front of the judge and in court? And then what happens subsequently if he is convicted? Will they spend that time with him as well? So there are a number of logistical concerns that have not necessarily been worked out as of yet because we really just have not seen this sort of thing before. But to answer your question, Lawrence, he absolutely will have to be arrested before he is arraigned because that will make him a formal part of the criminal justice system as a defendant Diapered moving forward. And Can't uh, wait. Harry Lippmann, uh, this could happen in what will feel like rapid succession. We could, for example, uh, get an indictment in Manhattan on, say, a Monday. You could have an indictment in Atlanta the following Monday or by the end of the same week, the way this is uh, moving at this point. And it's a really important point because we are fixated on what's going to be the first. Um, but in a few months, it's going to feel different. There will be two, maybe as you suggest, uh, from Jack Smith, three cases, and it'll just be a, a, you know a whole minefield for ha, Trump. And I think ha, who actually ha. went first will recede in importance at that at that point, uh, and it'll, it'll you know be be uh, sort More of all over the, the a kind of national minefield Legend. for the former. And, and Charles, uh, when will so we learn uh, what, the, what the nature of the evidence is against Donald <laughs> Trump in a Manhattan case if there are charges? That's going to be up to the discretion of the judge in terms of how much of the grand jury proceedings will be released. Those things are reviewed by the judges once they are turned in and once the indictment is done. The minutes will be reviewed by the judge. And I suspect that Alvin Bragg, even if he is allowed some level of discretion from the judge, is still going to keep a very tight lid on this as to not prejudice anything related to this case. Because as you've already pointed out, I fully expect that Donald Trump is going to go on the offensive and attack the credibility of that office. He's going to attack the credibility of the witnesses. And I fully suspect that he's also going to seek to change the venue outside of the five boroughs to try to get a courthouse that is going to be much more favorable to him than he'll find between what he's shopping. facing in Manhattan or anywhere else within the five boroughs of New York City. Charles Coleman that. and Harry Lippman, thank you both very much for starting off our discussion tonight. Off thank you. Judges. And coming up, the latest column by our next guest is titled Donald Trump Must Be Prosecuted. Charles Yay. Blow will join us next. The latest New York Times column by our next guest, Charles Blow, is titled, Donald Trump Must Be Prosecuted. Tonight, the New York Times is reporting, as former President Donald J. Trump faces likely criminal charges, his campaign is preparing to wage a political war. Joining our discussion now is Charles Blow, columnist for the New York Times and an MSNBC political analyst. Uh, Charles, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, one of the factors uh, that's going to be a condition of Donald Trump being prosecuted, of course, uh, an external condition of it, is the unrelenting attacks he will mount on prosecutors who bring charges against him, uh, as we were discussing before. What is your case uh, for why Donald Trump must be prosecuted. Uh, I think a lot of people out there uh, agree with that or, or disagree with it. But what are the, the points in favor of prosecution that you don't think are emphasized enough? Well, I think the, the, the fundamental issue here is uh, the larger one, which is whether or not uh, in America there is equal justice under the law. 
And I think that that is what is being put on trial here as much as Donald Trump and as much as any of these particular lawsuits that may be brought against him. Uh, what America has been feeded to over, you know, the at least the last six years of having had a Trump presidency be also before he even got into the presidency is what he was an example of rich and powerful men being able to game the system and not feel the brunt of justice uh, that anyone else would have felt and anyone else does feel. And anyone who is on the lower ring, rungs of the ladder in America knows that they have to know, they basically have to be a paralegal, right? You have to know the law backwards and forwards to make sure that you don't run afoul of it because if you do, justice will come at you swiftly and it will be harsh. What they have been able to watch with Donald Trump is someone for whom that has not applied. The, we have had these crazy, outdated rules about whether or not a president can be charged while he's in office or when, how close to an election that can be charged or can you can you investigate someone? Well, Donald Trump is going to take advantage of all those in, those uh, rules and, 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 and kind of traps. And that's exactly what he's done. And he continues to do that. Either we are a country of laws or we're not. And that is the point here. If Bragg or if if the prosecutor here in, in Atlanta or if people at the DOJ have evidence that Donald Trump has committed a crime and are dragging their feet for any reason, that is I was making so much money with DoorDash. I wanted to earn money in my free time, but I didn't want to go out and get a boring 9 to 5. That's when I found out how much money my friend was making with DoorDash. There are opportunities in over 4,000. Is itself an assault yes. on the rule of law. Charles, I, I'm glad you mentioned the rules uh, because they're not laws. They're just these rules within the Justice Department that the Justice Department made for itself, invented, invented out of or if uh, the larger one, which is whether or not uh, in America there is equal justice under the law. And I think that that is what is being put on trial here as much as Donald Trump and as much as any of these particular lawsuits that may be brought against him. Uh, what Taking America has been feeded to over you know, the, at least the last six years of having so had a Trump presidency be also before he even got into the presidency is what he was an example of rich and powerful men being able to game the system and not feel the brunt of justice yeah. uh, that anyone justice else would have felt. Blind. And anyone else Lock does feel. Up. And anyone who is on the lower rank rungs of the ladder <laughs> in America knows that they have to Everybody know, the they have to be a penalty, right? Thunder you have to know the law backwards and forwards to make sure that you don't run afoul justice of it. Because if you do, justice, justice will come at you swiftly and it will be harsh. What they have been able to watch Unless with Donald, Donald Trump is someone for whom that has Trump. not applied. The, we have had these crazy, Pepe outdated Don. rules about whether or not a president can be charged yeah, while he's in office or when, how close to an election that can be charged or can you, can you investigate someone. Well, Donald Trump is going to take advantage of all those, in, those uh, rules and, 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 and kind of traps. And that's exactly what he's done.
and he continues to do that. Happy Either we are a country of laws or we're not. And that is the point here. If Bragg or if if the prosecutor here in in Atlanta or if people at the DOJ have evidence that Donald Trump has committed a crime and are dragging their feet for any reason, Preach it, that brother. is itself an assault on the rule of law. Yes. Thank you. Charles, I'm glad you mentioned the rules uh, because they're not laws. They're just these rules within the Justice Department that the Justice Department made for itself, invented, invented out of thin air uh, to say that a president uh, cannot be prosecuted for crimes while in office. There's nothing in the Constitution about that. Uh, This is just their decision. uh, And and it holds as the operative uh, policy of the Justice Department. Uh, None of that uh, applies necessarily to any uh, district attorney or state prosecutor out there. They don't have uh, similar rules like that. But we're past the presidency. We're now into the post-presidency. We've only had one ex-president who could have been subject to criminal prosecution, and he was so vulnerable to criminal prosecution that the Republican vice president who took over for him, Jerry Ford, pardoned him. Richard Nixon was pardoned for all the crimes, it literally the pardon is all crimes committed during his presidency. For all four, all eight years of the president, well, not not eight, but but one and a half terms. Uh, and so, um, th- and that was this notion that you talk about in your piece. This notion that oh, it would be harmful for the country. It would somehow be harmful for the country if we had prosecuted Richard Nixon. Right. People talk about it as if. Prosecuting Donald Trump risks breaking the country. It's such a horrible precedent that that we will never uh, be able to walk back from that. Well, actually, we Donald Trump has already broken much of the presidency, broken much of the architecture around governance in this country, and we are just in the in in, in the throes of trying to piece that back to, together and trying to figure out how do we go forward from there. And he is a threat to do it again. The problem is not prosecuting Donald Trump. The problem is choosing not to prosecute Donald Trump because what it says is one man can present enough of a threat that he is not subject to the law. And once you have said that, once you've established that fact, then what does the rule of law mean at all? It is meaningless. It is hollow. It is now exactly what people think that it is which is that it is meant to control poor people and rich people and powerful people can have their way. That is not the signal that we want to send to America. Charles Blow, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Always appreciate it. Thank you. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said this. We know where it landed in the Black Sea. It's probably about maybe four or 5,000 feet of water, something like that. So any recovery operation is very difficult at that depth. Uh, by anyone. It probably broke up. Uh, there's probably not a lot to recover, frankly. Uh, as far as uh, the loss of anything of sensitive uh, intelligence, etc., uh, as normal, we would take, uh, and we did, take uh, mitigating measures. Uh, so we are quite confident that whatever uh, whatever was of value is no longer of value. Indictment watch! Exclamation point. Get ready for the attack. Follow my podcast, hashtag politics AF for more. Exclamation point. Trump has already called a racist.
updates exclamation point thanks for 76k exclamation point call all three branches of governments and demand hashtag arrest trump now So I'm putting on captions right now. Process the audio. Couldn't be processed, but you can try again. They don't want me to be able to put captions on this, apparently. Okay, fuck it. Okay, exit. 
and I'm not going to post, I'm not going to, um, <clears throat> it's just for only me. On TikTok. Oh. All right. Today, Poland became the first country to fulfill Ukraine's request for fighter jets. Poland's president announced the transfer of four fighter jets to Ukraine in the coming days with plans to send more. Today, the United I just thought of a good thing, uh, a fun thing, fun reaction, you know, when I, next time I get a hater complaining about my, uh, my beauty mark, I'll put on a, to put on a, like a fucking burka. Because uh, they want Sharia law in this country. To have, uh, the, the tension of the situation seems to have dissipated rather quickly. It has, and I give a lot of credit to the Biden administration. Uh, they responded forcefully job, in multiple Brandon. channels, uh, uh, multiple channels, military, non-military, diplomatic, uh, to make known that this kind of behavior is not acceptable. It's outrageous and it can't happen again. But they didn't overreact, Lawrence. Uh, they didn't use this as a, as a moment that we would get in some tit-for-tat escalation with the Russians. And I think it's quite remarkable that we're already tragically into the 13th month of this horrific war. President Biden has rightly, in my view, given military assistance to the Ukrainians. Other allies have. I think the announcement of the jets today is a good first step. I hope after four, there'll be 40 and eventually they'll have more. But he's also said we're not going to get into a war with Russia. Uh, and I think that very fine line, he has done it very delicately. And I give him a whole lot of credit for doing that. That's exactly where I think the policy should be. Yeah, and, and Senator Lindsey Graham was, in effect, advocating war with Russia over what we see in that video. We don't want to do that. Uh, we don't want to go to war with, over, with China over a balloon. And we don't want to go to war with Russia over, uh, uh, you know, an intelligence operation that we are conducting. Now, those are different cases. I want to be clear, right? One was in international territorial waters around Crimea, which we recognize as Ukraine. The Chinese balloon, of course, violated our sovereignty. But you have to be able to deal with these kinds of moments and not let them get out of control. And I think in both instances, the Biden responses have been firm, but not imprudent. What do you believe Ukraine needs now? You know, I think this is a critical year. I, I don't think they, when, when sometimes our leaders say as long as it takes, the Ukrainians hear the word long. Uh, and they don't want a long war. They want this year to be the end of the war. And therefore, they need more jets. They need ATACOMs. This is this long-range missile system that they've been uh, asking the United States for. And they think they need those weapons in order to go on a counteroffensive this spring, this summer, not years from now, to try to break up the Russian forces between the north and the south. So I think we should be doing more to help them achieve those goals this year, not in the future. Ambassador Michael McFall, thank you very much for joining us again tonight. Thanks for having me.
Thank you. Coming up, our next guest has joined us before on this program, but it's always been from London. And so I am about to meet him in person for the first time right here in our Washington studio when David Lanner, member of the British Parliament, joins us next. Next month marks the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which brought the end to 30 years of violent conflict in Northern Ireland that came to be known as the Troubles. President Biden announced this week that he will travel to Northern Ireland to mark the anniversary after receiving a formal invitation from the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. I look forward to our conversations and also, importantly, to invite you to Northern Ireland, which I hopefully you will be able to do until we can commemorate the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. I know it's something that's very special and personal to you. We'd love to have you over. It is, but it's worse than 25 years. Seems like yesterday. Seems like yesterday. Anyway, thank you. My intention to go to, go to Northern Ireland and the Republic. Today, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky announced that he spoke with the UK's Prime Minister and had a good conversation, quote, a good conversation with Great Britain Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. I informed him of the situation at the front, Bakhmut's defense, exchanged views on recent international events. As always, we have concrete results in increasing defense and economic support for Ukraine. Appreciate Great Britain's unwavering position. And joining us now is David Lammy. He is the British shadow foreign secretary, as they say. He is a member of the British Labour Party, and he represents a district of London in the parliament. Thank you very much to join us here in Washington. This is great to see you. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, I, wanted, I want to begin on that last point that uh, President Zelensky referred to Great Britain's unwavering position. Is the British Parliament unwavering on this? Is there, is there basically unanimous agreement in the Parliament about supporting Ukraine? I think it was hugely important that when President Zelensky came to Parliament last month that there was bipartisan cross-party support. It reflects the country and I think it's got something to do with our history, the mm -hmm. position that we took in the Second World War particularly. Britain is a country that's not been invaded since 1066. We feel very closely related to the Baltic nations, to the threat that we're now seeing from Vladimir Putin, and that is indivisible right across the parliamentary system. Yeah, I mean, you have the experience in, in your country of having survived, with the United States' help, uh, a similar threat in the 1940s in World War II. You know, and in this country, there's this kind of uh, general public discussion notion that you it's you can't use World War II as an example of anything because you're dead. using Hitler as the example. And of course, Hitler uh, is incomparable, can't be compared to anyone else. But but what Vladimir Putin is doing is the 21st century version of what Hitler aspired to do and did. I think there are two aspects to this. The first is the great story of the 20th century is how so many people who at the beginning of that century had no rights at all, working people, black and brown people, women, LGBTQ communities, by the end of the 20th century, in the beginning of this one, have rights. And all of that is under threat where freedom is taken for granted. 
And so we must stand up to imperialism. We must stand up to a bully and a tyrant that says that he can take another country's sovereignty and interrupt their territorial integrity. I think that the United States and the UK understand this well, and it's hugely important that we stand behind the people of Ukraine in this courageous and valiant fight. They've got to win. As we sit here uh, on the eve of St. Patrick's Day uh, here in the United States, it comes as no surprise that Joe Biden accepts invitations to go to Northern Ireland and to Ireland, as as he did uh, from your prime minister, accept that invitation so readily. Uh, what what would you like the president to to? Don't you were the first person to call it. This is the case that's going to end row. Mm -hmm. To be thinking about uh, in Northern Ireland, especially with its complex, Northern Ireland's complex position,